And now, Dan Happel's Connecting the Dots. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Where the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. The men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. God bless the USA. We're going to have fun today, too. I've got a, a good friend of mine is on the program with me, uh, Mindy Patterson from the Cavalry Group. Uh, she is a uh, uh, hu- animal husbandry and uh, stock growers and uh, protector of animal rights from the uh, the ownership standpoint. In other words, she is the exact opposite of uh, all these radical environmental groups and radical uh, uh, animal rights groups. So it'll be fun. Yeah, exactly. There'll be a day, Chris, if they get their way, where that little puppy will no longer be your pet. You'll have to take it uh, and turn it loose in the woods and let it starve to death because you're being a slaveholder. Uh, that's the kind of nonsense that goes on. So, yeah, we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about one of my favorite things, uh, which Mindy is going to be uh, probably really excited about talking about, and that's Codex Elementarius. That is the UN program to control everything that we eat, every chemical in the environment, they're going to control it all. And uh, you want to take vitamin pills, buddy, you better go get a prescription because you will no longer be able to buy anything over the counter. It'll be strictly at their control. So this is going to be a good program. We're going to have a lot of fun with it. So, uh, But with that said, uh, Mindy, uh, I've got a little video that uh, just a short one. It's like five minutes on uh, what Kodax Elementarius is. And uh, Thumper, I sent that to you. If we could pull that up, I think that's a good lead into to get today's program because it uh, gives us a really good feel for how long this has been in the works and what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dan. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, I had to make a uh, let me just make a quick adjustment here uh, for the folks over in the Rumble Channel. Uh, okay, just a second here. Um, okay, there we go. All right. Okay. Well, uh, I'm ready when you are. Okay. Just uh, okay. go ahead and click her away. Let's uh, make this happen. Okay. Here we go. 
Also poisoning our food and have been for a long time. Let me tell you a bit of what persistent organic pollutants are, which are known as POPs. Persistent organic pollutants are chemical substances that persist in the environment, accumulate through the food web, and cause adverse effects to humans' health and the environment. Most POPs are used as a pesticide for fruits, vegetables, and other cash crops. If POPs were used on a crop one season and not used the next, the crops can still be affected by them because it can accumulate in the soil having a tox effect on the crop. Humans and animals then eat the food and pops can actually bioaccumulate in the fatty tissue of the unsuspecting victim. Scientists estimate that the misuse of pops causes thousands of access deaths, millions of disabilities and billions of lost dollars annually. The Stockholm Convention is a global treaty signed by 176 countries to protect human life and environment from POPs. It was established in 2004. The website is chm.pops.int and result at the time was they successfully banned 12 of the worst organic pollutants known to man. The 12 worst POPs were Chlordan, DDT, Daldrin, Dioxin, Endrin, Furan, Heptachlor, Hexachlorbenzine, Myrix, Polychlorinated Biphenylis, and Toxaphene. 9 out of 12 of these chemicals were pesticides. Now that you know that information, let me introduce you to what Codex Elementaris is. Codex Elementaris was a commission created in 1963 by World Health Organization and Food Agriculture Organization by the UN United Nations to develop food standards guidelines. It was also created to control the trade of food. It was done under the practice of the joint FAO and WHO food standards program. Codex has rules for absolutely everything we can legally put into our mouth except for pharmaceuticals. It's all about trade and the profits of multinational corporations. You can visit their website and check out the standards for yourself at www.codexelementaris.net at the top right put cursor on official standards. Let me assure you that the food standards are not in the attention of the people. They may say that on their website but they are lying. Codex is unscientific because it classifies nutrients as toxins and uses risk assessment to set ultra low so called safe upper limits for them. Risk assessment is a branch of toxicology, the science for assessing toxins. The proper science for assessing nutrients is biochemistry. Codex does not use biochemistry. I am going to list a few of the most important standards and things the commission wants to achieve and make mandatory by December 31st, 2009. Under Codex, every dairy cow on the planet must be treated with Monsanto recombinant bovine growth hormone. Recombinant bovine growth hormone is a genetically engineered copy of a natural occurring hormone produced by cows. Monsanto Company is the one who manufactures it. Milk production increases by as much as 10 to 15 percent. Recombinant bovine growth hormone milk is supercharged with high levels of natural growth factor and has been known to cause breast, colon, and prostate cancers. Got 
Under Codex, every animal must be treated with antibiotics and growth hormones. Literally every animal we eat. Under Codex states that all food must be irradiated. That means to heat with radiation or to expose to radiation. 176 countries agreed to ban the 12 worst organic chemicals known to man. Nine out of these chemicals were pesticides. Codex is bringing back seven out of these nine forbidden pops. Food with these chemicals on them cannot be stopped at the borders because it would be a trade violation. All of this will be mandatory December 31st, 2009. When Codex Alimentarius goes into global implementation in 2009, the joint WHO and FAO projections for the impact of Codex Alimentarius nutrition and mineral guidelines alone, not including the impact of pesticides, will result in a minimum of 3 billion deaths. 1 billion through starvation and 2 billion will die from the preventable diseases of undernutrition. Dr. Rima Labo from the Natural Solutions Foundations is the most popular for exposing Codex Elementaris. You can find her videos on YouTube.com by typing Codex Elementaris in the search. All that I've stated is completely true. Okay, well, that's a good lead. Um, that's an old, old um, video. I mean, that's been around for almost 20 years. So um, things have gotten much worse. And uh, Barack Obama signed on to Codex Elementaris, even though it had been signed on to since 1963. He fully embraced Codex Elementaris because at the time that he embraced it, they were talking about making all vitamins and supplements uh, have to be uh, prescribed by a doctor and they have to be a prescription drug. So uh, that was one of the reasons o Obama uh, was the one that uh, promoted it because he was in the pocket of Big Pharma just like the rest of them are. Mindy, uh, <clears throat> I know when you and I first talked about this, this was uh, kind of an eye-opener just talking about all the things tied to Codex Elementarius. But uh, the impacts on animal husbandry and on the food that we consume in the form of meat products is huge, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> in full disclosure, I did not know about Codex Elementarius until you brought it to my attention. And over this weekend, I've done a deep dive into researching and investigating uh, what this is all about. And the fact that the United States signed on in 1963 is mind boggling to me because um, what it has sort of shined a, a bright light on the fact that <clears throat> it explains all of this regulatory reform that's literally come out of nowhere. Uh, the FDA has been implementing changes in um, animal owners uh, ability to obtain what used to just be simple over-the-counter uh, medications for livestock and other animals, just as simple remedies, uh, whether it's pain relief or uh, antibiotics or whatever to, um, you know, bring relief to a sick animal. And the FDA came up with, it, it's so interesting that this came up because I had just been talking about this. Um, the FDA 
about five years ago came up with the veterinary feed directive um, and the they call it the VFD and it just kind of appeared out of nowhere. And what it basically says is that if you want to give, you know, medicated feed to your chickens, which has been very prevalent with, you know, raising chicks or uh, butte for your horses to manage pain or whatever it is, you have to now obtain those things through your veterinary with a prescription only. And when I was attending, uh, learning about this by attending an equine seminar, I asked the veterinarian who was giving the speech about this veterinary feed directive. And I said, what brought this about? Where's the scientific evidence that there's a problem to solve here? He said, well, there really is none. It's all under the precautionary principle, <laughs> which means, which is a fancy term for saying there is no scientific evidence, but we're just, you know, doing this in case to keep the public mm -hmm. safe. And, you know, it's all under this, under this guise of safety, public safety. And where have we heard that before during COVID that's all we heard about with the mask mandates and the vaccination mandates and all of these things. We have to keep the public safe. It's for your well-being. It's, it's for your, you know, for the betterment of society. It's, this is creepy stuff. This is right out of, you know, an Orwell novel. So, um, codex is, is very concerning and all livestock producers, food producers should know about this, but you know, there's nowhere to find it unless you know where to look like me. I mean, I mm -hmm. consider myself relatively well-read in some of these, uh, programs and certainly agenda 21, agenda 2030, all of these things. And I, you introduced me to this and I had it caught me flat, flat footed. As you know, I hadn't even heard mm -hmm. about it, but codex elementarius apparently means food code. So it's a That's food exactly. code for all. It's, it's sort of a, a marker, if you will, for every aspect of food safety from spices and herbs to anything that humans and animals ingest. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you brought up the vitamins. That's a huge concern because, uh, just as a pro, uh, prophylactic measure, you know, we've all been very much, uh, realizing that, you know, most of our society maybe was deficient in vitamin D and, and vitamin C has provided, uh, great benefits for the years, but now anything, I, I believe what I read was anything over 200 milligrams of vitamin C is considered high dose. So you can't just go to Walgreens or Costco and buy a big thing of vitamin C anymore. You have, you would have to go through your doctor to get a prescription and who knows who the manufacturer is in what's included in your vitamin C. I mean, all of this is about goes back to agenda 2030 of inventory monitor and control. This is all about control mm -hmm. and it's really not solving a problem. As I was told with this notion of precautionary principle, they're just, you know, they're, they're acting like they're getting ahead of potential problems. It could be a problem. Mm -hmm. So we're going to wrap you up in bubble wrap and prevent you from doing certain things that we upon high believe that it's going to be a problem in the future. Well, Mindy, um, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned 1984 <laughs> because even though this was actually uh, something that came into uh, public purview in 1963 with the full acceptance and adoption uh, by the UN, 
of the Codex Elementarius policies, they were actually developed by uh, Julian Huxley back in the late 40s, early 50s, mm-hmm. and a gentleman by the name of uh, Herman Schmitz uh, with a Z uh, was, uh, he was sent uh, with the Nuremberg trials, he was sent to prison for four years for his part as the head of IG Farben with uh, creating chemicals and some of them not so good uh, for the uh, Nazis in uh, Nazi Germany. And uh, one of those chemicals was Zyklon B, which was uh, used to gas people in the, uh, in, the, in the gas chambers. So anyway, he ended up in prison for four years for his part in this. The second that he got out, or literally within, uh, I guess, more like weeks, um, Julian Huxley got a hold of Schmitz and asked him to head up a new program called Codex Elementarius that Huxley had dreamed up and uh, make Schmitz part of that because Schmitz had such an incredible aptitude for putting together all these really, really draconian programs. He was mm-hmm. really excellent at this stuff. And <clears throat> people that don't know who Julian Huxley is, the Huxley family were noted eugenicists. Mm-hmm. They were uh, uh, natural supremacists, uh, the, the Darwinian theories of natural selection. They were humanists. They believed that God was human and not uh, God Almighty in heaven. Uh, And this guy was one of the New Age gurus, the family were the New Age gurus that put together so many of the programs that became transhumanism. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was involved in that whole movement back in the mid-30s with his brother, Aldous Huxley, who wrote The Brave New World. So, you know, you can't make this stuff up. These people are connected at the hip, and they bring this stuff into being way, way back during uh, just right after World War II because guess what? When they created the UN, naturally they named Julian Huxley as the head of the new agency called UNESCO. So, uh, you know, this is, this is not just a little happenstance. This is all part of a big plan. And uh, what happened in 1963 was basically the culmination of all this programming that had been done by Hermann Schmitz uh, back in the 50s. So just thought oh, I'd preface oh. That's an outstanding preface, and um, I'm going to add one person to your list. Of, they're probably friends with Huxley, is Peter Singer, oh, who no. is the father of the animal rights movement. Uh, he is a, also a eugenicist, uh, professor of bioethics at Princeton University, of course, you know, out there molding and shaping young minds. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Basically, he claims that he's about human values when really what he's about is making animals equal to humans and eliminating animals from our lives, all animal use completely eliminated from our lives. He believes in animal liberation and any people out there who are following these groups that sound 
like they're about animal welfare, take a second look and peel back the curtain because many times these organizations are more often than not, they are taking money from groups that are advancing an extremist agenda, uh, animal rights agenda, and they're doing it through policy, through regulatory reform, just like this codex, this completely fits into the agenda of the animal rights movement. It's, it's stunning to me. It all feathers together. It connects all connects, uh, all the dots connect here, but, but yeah, the animal rights and for your listeners who aren't familiar with animal rights, just briefly, uh, it's an ideology that's an extreme political agenda. That's been working incrementally for the last 50 plus years to end animal use in every capacity, every capacity from biomedical research, food production, sports, entertainment, zoos, rodeos, fairs, even 4-H, FFA, um, basically everything from your beloved pet on your lap to the steak on your plate. As you said earlier, uh, it's going to impact our uh, food supply, but animal rights organizations are working to achieve their goals through this kind of thing like Codex. Um, through legislation and their campaigns, it's all, they're all about raising money while altering Americans' views about animal use. And they do that through our schools and universities, our public schools, our government schools, um, and even through legislation and litigation, which is what we deal with constantly. And these organizations count on the public and even lawmakers remaining uninformed about their goals. So when these lawmakers take money from these animal rights organizations, such as the Humane Society of the United States, I know that may surprise some of your listeners, but be very careful. These organizations are uh, humane in name only. They give a fraction of 1% of the money that they take in. And we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars every year. They use that money to destroy our food supply, to destroy animal agriculture, to destroy private property ownership, hunting, fishing, pet ownership. They want it all gone. These are animal liberation people and they wear this, uh, cloak to disguise of animal welfare and we care about animals to disguise their agenda and they are very active at uh in washington dc and congress and at every state capital and every city council county commissioner it's happening uh in a very uh unified manner across the country and that's part of what we do with our organization we're sort of a watchdog to make sure that uh, we are there to defeat this bad legislation, but the Humane Society of the United States, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, uh, Animal Legal Defense Fund, I could go on and on. There's mm -hmm. dozens of organizations that masquerade as animal welfare organizations when really they're animal rights extremists that are inserting this ideology and using uh, all the principles that you talked about uh, with Codex Elementarius under this food code is what they're inserting through um, policy. I mean, it, it's just crazy to me. And I'm going to add one more thing to Codex that I'm sure that... Um, you would agree. I, I see an overlap here happening with ESG scores. You oh, know, yeah. it, mm -hmm. I mean, I think that will be definitely coming into play as these ag organizations seem to be buying into this false narrative of um, 
sustainable development or sustainable agriculture, the ESG scores of, you know, environment, social governance, uh, which is going to be hitting everybody right between the eyes here, um, it's it's already happening and and i've noticed a lot of ag organizations and associations seem to care about their esg score all of a sudden you know mm-hmm. and so where is that coming from and why do they care uh it's it's about it's about money it's about being able to survive i believe a lot of these associations naively buy into this cuz they just want to live to see another day but um, when you look at the and just the wording under ESG for under the environment, it's the impact of a company's operation and supply chain and what it has on the environment. And for social, it's employee relations, health and safety, diversity and inclusion. We're hearing those words a lot lately. Governance in business ethics, code of conduct, incident resolution, transparency, all of these things come into play under ESG. And I just see it feathering into this codex mandate that is really scary. And it's just another several layers of government control that is happening that is basically sucking all the freedom out of uh out of our country they're going to be you know we've seen hints of this through the obama administration of not being able to collect rainwater or not being able to grow your own food well why would they be opposed to us having gardens at home and raising our food it's about control and Mm -hmm. it all follows under this purview i mean honestly dan when you brought this up the other day, it just opened a whole new, <laughs> whole new <laughs> room. But it makes total sense. It yeah. made, I mean, the dots connected here, where <clears throat> all of a sudden, these policies that you wonder where they're coming from and why, why are they here? Well, this is why. It, yeah. It's they're just laying the groundwork incrementally, hoping nobody notices until all of a sudden we're just getting completely overwhelmed by this, the system. Um, and welcome to the hunger games. I mean, this is really, and so people ask me, well, this is awful. How do we stop this? Well, we need to make sure that our elected representatives at the local state and federal levels know about this. I mean, if I hadn't heard about this, I guarantee you most of the state legislators probably have not heard about this. So we need to make sure that our lawmakers uh, are up to speed on this so that they can uh, watch the bridge, so to speak, to uh, reject policy that welcomes this into. Um, and that's that's how all this is being implemented is is yeah. through policy. It is. And, um, you know, the, we've also got to elect leaders who want to know this stuff, because uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, it's. Uh, Kind of a pathetic thing when you get together with some of your state legislators and realize uh, what a bunch of low IQ individuals <laughs> we have put into public office. And yeah. I certainly do not uh, include our our dear friend, uh, Teresa Manzella, in that crowd. She's one of the enlightened ones, one of the leaders of the freedom movement. But um, I have to tell you, she doesn't have nearly enough support around Montana in the legislature by people who care. And that's the problem that you are encountering because 
for every one of you who are fighting tooth and nail to try to save this country, mm-hmm. there's probably what, three, four, five, six dozen companies that are out there doing the exact opposite. Absolutely. Yes. Teresa is a, is a warrior. She's fearless and she makes everyone aware of the fact that, you know, it's easy to stand up for principle when you are standing on rock, not on sand Mm -hmm. and everything that she uh, advances is based on, on principle and, and fact. And along those lines, as you just mentioned, um, you know, Texas is a perfect example because the invasion of Texas from Californians has been extremely prevalent, very unfortunate because most people that have been moving there bring California pro- uh, their their problems with them or their voting intentions, which is super sad. And Texas has been in a downhill spiral um, in Houston, Dallas, Fort Worth, Frisco, Austin, San Antonio, um, just along the lines of what you were mentioning, we have been uh, working on trying to get our preemptive legislation, the Working Animal Protection Act passed in Texas, which is basically, it goes on offense to basically say that animal rights groups can't outright ban lawful businesses that utilize working animals. So we're talking horse-drawn carriages, we're talking uh, small zoos or large zoos, any sort of animal exhibition at the fair, rodeos, uh, pony rides, elephant rides, camel rides, all those things that are wholesome family activities that the animal rights organizations have been banning at the local municipal level across the country. And so this bill was born naturally out of uh, necessity, and we were successful in getting it passed in Oklahoma and Arkansas and have been trying in other states, Texas included, And we tried in 2019 and 2021, Texas, uh, their legislature meets every other year, and it never went anywhere because the animal rights organizations, and this falls into what you were just talking about, um, the animal rights groups write big fat checks to lawmakers. Mm -hmm. And so we learned very quickly that our bill wasn't going anywhere because, uh, eight of the 10 members of the House Agriculture Committee, all Republicans, by the way, were basically uh, endorsed by the state of Texas uh, animal rights group called the Texas Humane Legislative Network that is an extension of the Humane Society of the United States. And so we looked in the ethics reports and sure enough, there were you know, five and 10 and $15,000 checks being written to lawmakers to do their bidding. And that's what we're up against. Our organization is very grassroots. We have a lot of volunteers. Um, And so accordingly, we don't have the means to write any checks, nor do, and I wouldn't. We shouldn't Mm -hmm. be doing that. These are elected representatives that are supposed to represent their constituents. And instead, they're representing special interest groups, well-funded special interest groups Mm -hmm. that run their money through these local state uh, organizations to spill into the legislature. And that's what we deal with all over the country. And uh, this year, we finally got the bill passed in Texas, fortunately, but it wasn't without some scrappy... uh, 
clever negotiations and maneuvering by um, the state representative, Dustin Burroughs and, and Senator Brandon Crichton. I have to give them props because they uh, worked very hard to get this done, but their motive behind it wasn't necessarily to protect horse-drawn carriages and the rodeo like it was for me. They wanted to protect lawful businesses, so they made it more broad to prevent the Californians from coming in and banning gas-powered lawnmowers or banning uh, dry cleaners, or that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. At the local municipal level where people don't pay attention, uh, they're getting slapped in the face with these local bans, and people just don't even know it's a thing until they wake up one day and realize, huh, we don't have horse-drawn carriages in San Antonio anymore. That's weird. Mm -hmm. Or all of a sudden, I'm not allowed to use my leaf blower in the fall because it's gas-powered. These are the policies that are coming from California into other states. And unfortunately, what happens in California doesn't stay in California. Um, I grew up there. I lived there in a great era. And I've mm -hmm. been gone from California now for 38 years. I moved away when I married my husband and we, you know, started our lives on the eastern uh, East Coast, and I never looked back. My family is still in California, though, and they wish that they could leave, but they're so tied to their jobs. It's sad. I mean, I it's a beautiful state, and it's been mm -hmm. ruined. It's been destroyed. Yeah, it has. And <clears throat> what you're talking about isn't uh, limited to Texas. I uh, Montana right now. I'm. I don't know if uh, Teresa's told you about this, but. Uh, Right now, there is a uh, a lawsuit in the court system where outside young people, and I'm you know they're children, but they're from other states, are suing the state of Montana because they say that uh, the legislature is not providing a uh, healthy and uh, uh, environmentally helpful environment. Okay. Uh, that's in our state constitution. It was put that way in 1972, incidentally. Our original state constitution didn't have that in. But by 72, we already had such a radical environmental group influence in the state of Montana that we came up with a new constitution. And now they're trying to exploit that, saying that uh, everybody has the right to uh, basically shut down everything that produces carbon or any fossil fuels or anything like that because it destroys their healthful environment. This is the kind of crap that's going on all over the country. And so, you know, a, a conservative state like Montana is seeing this uh, same impact that you're talking about in Texas. And this has been going on for decades. You and I have talked about this so many times before, but there's no, all the, all the data is skewed and funneling through our corrupt media to uh, instill fear and misinformation in the public. Um, mm -hmm. And, and I know when Thumper was talking about the, the person from Belgium and Belgium, and they had wrong information about, you know, the environmental impact of certain things. We're being lied to by people with an agenda, and that fits right into the mold of the animal rights groups as well. You're being lied to 
with not facts and science, but just information that they have skewed uh, to fit their agenda and a lot of propaganda and a lot of emotional uh, photos and information that, you know, will sell their side. And that's the unfortunate part is that, you know, they go into these committee hearings and they promote legislation to ban something and all of these lawmakers get weak need and vote it through and side with these animal rights groups because they have this false impression that they are the animal welfare experts when in reality they don't care about the animals they mm-hmm. just they want them uh they want them gone and they want to raise it's all about raising money it's about raising money and control but one of the things i know i've shared with you this goofy story but when i say that this agenda has been going on for decades i have this vivid memory my my dad was um you know, World War II generation and really taught me, you know, this idea of discernment and questioning everything. And Mm -hmm. I was just a kid, fourth grader. How old are you in fourth grade? Nine, nine or 10. Mm -hmm. Nine. It was a rainy day. And what happens on rainy days in schools after lunch, instead of recess, you watch a movie. And I remember the fourth grade teacher that I had was in charge of the movie selection that day, (laughs) Mr. Schwinn. And he played this uh, movie for everybody in the lunchroom about uh, what was happening in our country uh, with from, you know, all the pollution and our water is polluted and our air is polluted and we're, you know, destroying and wildlife and all this other stuff. And it really impacted me. I mean, I was only nine years old. It really made a lot of kids, including me, fearful. And I ran home that day and my dad worked from home and I went into his office and I, he immediately could tell something was wrong. And when I told him what I had watched, he basically said, listen, we today are living in a prosperous society, which has brought innovation to bring the cleanest air, the cleanest water. He said, when I was a kid, everybody had incinerators and the Mm -hmm. smoke was unbearable. We have innovated our way out of these things to improve life for humans uh, on our planet and in the United States. And I think that's one of the things that stands out the most to me is, you know, that that little story from my dad teaching me that prosperity and wealth is is when things are are clean and there's innovation exactly. to solve problems. And all I hear in my head is when Obama kept saying, you know, I'm going to fundamentally transform our country, <laughs> this redistribution of of wealth. But it's also a redistribution of uh, poverty that's happening mm-hmm. with our border, which is Swiss cheese and all of these uh, invaders coming into our country. It is, it is the redistribution of poverty. And these, all you have to do is look at our cities, San Francisco, Los Angeles. I was just in San Antonio because there was indeed a pending carriage ban before uh, this bill in Texas I was talking about earlier passed. And, and I'm so grateful that it did because now the carriage ban will never happen. Uh, they're protected. But when I went down to San Antonio to meet with the carriage companies, I couldn't get over all the homeless people, the homeless camps. Um, You know, 
there is there is not a bright light being sh- shown on what's really truly happening in our cities mm-hmm. and um the city council members that are literal marxists that are implementing uh, policy that is so unconstitutional but san mm-hmm. antonio is a tricky city because you've got a a sanctuary city in a non-sanctuary state so you've got that tug of war tug of war and then you've got this radical city council that is implementing these very um i hate to even call them progressive but uh globalist plans mm-hmm. to advance honestly codex mm-hmm. i mean it's, it's just all through this this policy that they're destroying businesses and the weaponization of eminent domain that's happening in that city, which is happening in other places across the country. Um, all of this is coming together to really um, hammer through Obama's intention uh, during this third term of his mm-hmm. um, of, of redistributing wealth and, mm-hmm. and completely eviscerating the middle class. So completely. Uh, yeah and 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 destroying um all of the institutions that have made this country really prosperous and great because the one thing about communism it is very unsuccessful when it's up against true capitalism against true free market capitalism yeah but we haven't lived under true free market capitalism for a very long time yeah and especially under people like uh the bushes the clintons the obamas the people who uh are part of this globalist plan for a new world order so what do they do they destroy the institutions that make our country great so that everybody is in this common, um, I guess I'd have to call it a common poverty, where no one has more than another, so there can't be any comparisons uh, with free markets. And that's exactly what they're doing, and that's what progressives do. Mm-hmm. And I, you, they use the term progressive. That is an absolute farce. It's a lie. They are regressives. They are not progressives. They're regressives. And their regression into Marxism is destroying this country. And uh, Mandy, I, I, I want to give you another perfect example of what you're talking about. Bozeman, Montana. You cannot believe. I mean, it was the prettiest little town when I was <laughs> growing up. And you cannot believe Bozeman, Montana now. They've got a bunch of uh, Marxist progressives that are in charge the mayor the city council they keep you know they've created sanctuary city and all this other junk Mm -hmm. and nobody can afford to buy a house anymore because an average house in bozeman montana right now and this is just a a modest home is somewhere around a half a million dollars and uh if if you want to get a halfway decent house it's going to be over a million dollars yeah and it's the same in every city that the progressives take over because what they do is they fool with the zoning, they fool yeah. with the jobs, they manipulate everything to destroy the middle class and make it so expensive to live there that the the people who do have enough money to function move elsewhere. And they yeah. leave nothing but that common poverty. 
And some of those policies even erode private property ownership. Um, I think you're about to step into the uh, local uh, laws that have been passed. I know Minneapolis has has passed it and the city of Los Angeles, where if you have, um, you have to subdivide, if you have a certain size lot, you have to subdivide it and um, you you have to have sort of communal living. I, I'll have to find the language, but you probably know what I'm talking about. Absolutely, I do. They did it in Colorado. Yeah. They passed it as mm-hmm. state law in Colorado now. Oh, uh, no. Basically, what it does is uh, take uh, suburban communities that are zoned single-family homes. Yes. And yes. they open that all up to multifamily zoning so that they can replace houses with apartment buildings yeah because they don't want single family homes and it destroys property values absolutely and that's their intention again Mm -hmm. wanting to uh, make everything instead of the redistribution of wealth is the redistribution of poverty Mm -hmm. exactly and i my uh, my wife's sister has a bunch of rental properties in denver they're properties that she and her husband and his family bought way, way back when, when property was cheap. Uh, they brought multifamily uh, buildings and individual homes as, you know, deals came up. They went in, they did a bunch of work on them. They're very, very good property owners. They always maintained everything. Well, guess what? Their little houses now, a, a little house that isn't even a thousand square feet uh, in a residential neighborhood in Denver now is worth close to a million dollars. And it's because of this new planning and zoning. Well, what does that do? It destroys rental properties for people who used to be able to afford a rental uh, now that property is worth so much money that they have to make a choice. Do we continue to rent this property or do we uh, go in and sell it or subdivide it and pull, put in a multifamily dwelling in there? Yeah. And that's exactly how they do it. It's all creep. It's all creep. It's all one step at a time. And uh, that's a perfect example is the the laws that affect zoning. Yeah. Oh, and and people don't pay attention to what's going on in their own backyard. So there will be conversations about these things and they'll pass unanimously. And the next thing you know, you have this burden and your your property drops in value. It just plummets. And it's it's really scary. And then you can't sell your house because you don't want to have a compound. You know, you want to if people who want to own a single family home and not a multi use unit anyway. Right. Right, exactly. Well, you wouldn't recognize Bozeman now. I, I, I doubt that you would because now there are all these uh, dumpy trailers and people living out of cars and out of pickup trucks. And uh, they're, they're living on all the side streets, all the back streets of Bozeman. This little town of Bozeman, I would say that the homeless and the nearly homeless in Bozeman now number in the thousands and we're talking in a community that uh, i think bozeman proper is only about fifty thousand, or maybe even a little less and the number of homeless people there every 
vacant lot now is filled full of people camping and squatting in that community, and the police won't do anything about it because the city council told them, leave them alone, let it be, just don't touch it. Well, a lot of these things that are happening, like you've just described, fit unto, under the heading of the end justifies the means, which is a communist uh, mm-hmm. ploy. And that's how they get things done. You know, I mean, just think about the last several years with Nancy Pelosi and all of her lies. And, um, oh, gosh, the list is long with mm-hmm. the people and their and their list of lies at the federal level and at the state level. And, you know, it's the end justifies the means. They'll say anything. They'll do anything to get things through. And even though we know it's complete malarkey, but when the media, for the most part, is on their side, that's all we, mm-hmm. all we hear. Uh, that's why shows like yours are so important, Dan, because, you know, it's the only way people are hearing the truth. And honestly, I'm sure you've got listeners all the time that say, Oh, I'm so glad it's not just me. I, I wondered about this. I, I'm sure you get that all the time. We Thank do. you for confirming my suspicions. You know, mm-hmm. people know something's wrong and they've known something's wrong for a long time, but unless you go digging, um, you know, or know where to look. I wouldn't have known that this Codex Elementarius was even, I mean, I've been <laughs> studying Agenda 21 for 15 years mm-hmm. and I, I hadn't seen this before. Wow. I just, I'm still blown away. It's um, a deep dive. It's a deep dive, Mindy. And that's the the reason that we are constantly communicating and why it's so important to get together with uh, different groups and different people that maybe share a common understanding of the mess that we're in, but maybe are looking at it from different perspectives because uh, Codex Elementarius, I mean, I I learned about it, uh, I think the first time maybe, oh, heck, I don't know, 30 years ago, long time ago. And uh, I had as a guest on our program not long ago, Dr. Rima LeBeau, who is the, oh, yeah. uh, yes, she's the lady that uh, started talking about Kodak Elementarius years and years ago. And I know she was one of the first people that I heard speak about it openly. And I'll, I'll bet that was at least 20 years ago. I've heard her speak actually on a, on a zoom meeting uh, several months ago, she was talking about the who. Um, oh yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, she's, super sharp and very to the point, you know, and I liked her urgency about everything because mm-hmm. we all have to take all this stuff very seriously. So yeah, it's all working together. There, are, The thing that doesn't make any sense to me, even to this day is it, all of this would be powerless if we would just disengage from the UN, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's what we need to do. Just pull the plug. Don Birch Society has been telling people that since 1958. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's funny because, you know, as a kid, I always heard all the horrors of the John Birch Society. What the, what a bunch of uh, right-wing conspiracy theorists and all this. And uh, I actually didn't become a member of the organization until about 2008 or 2009, and it was because I started reading the New American magazine. I picked yeah. one up in an airport, and 
it looked like I had written the article, yeah. I, you know, because it said exactly everything that I was trying to tell people. And uh, lo and behold, I started digging a little bit more and I found out, holy smokes, this group has been right all along. Yep. And, you know, people like Larry McDonald, who was uh, a um, uh, congressman from, I think it was uh, North Carolina, if I'm not mistaken, maybe South Carolina. Anyway, uh, he was one trying to get us out of the U.N. And uh, lo and behold, he died when the uh, 007 plane was shot down uh, over Korea. Mm -hmm. You remember that. And there's ample evidence that that was uh, ordered by the United States. Wow. Well, it was because of the John Birch Society that I actually started following uh, Cleon Skousen, uh, The 5,000-Year Leap, and also The Naked Communist is one of my favorite books. I read from it pretty pretty much every day. There's just so much a wealth of information in there. But it really pulls back the veil as to what communism truly is they don't mean he doesn't mince words and i think it's it's bold but it's important and people need to to pick that up um yeah i i i love the john birch society well um i've certainly grown uh, to be a um, a, a supporter of them over the last 15 mm -hmm. years for that yeah. very reason mm -hmm. so well mindy let's uh Let's talk about maybe the connections that you found with Codex Elementarius and the animal husbandry um, and the, the animal rights groups, more importantly, that are supporting a lot of these uh, Codex Elementarius programs. Well, the animal rights organizations have been advancing their agenda through legislation. And one of the ways of advancing their agenda in legislation is through the ballot initiative process. And um, there are 24 states that allow the ballot initiative process in the United States. And of those 24, um, the Humane Society of the United States has spent millions of dollars um, advancing Truly, I mean, it's just it's textbook codex, codex elementarius. Uh, what do I want to say? Um, language, language, the principles, their goals uh, in this ballot initiative stuff. If you just look at the ballot initiatives and not even get into the local, state, and federal legislation, um, and they've passed these these very onerous. Uh, ballot initiatives in 18 of the 24 states since 1990 and uh, things that negatively impact hunting, fishing, the pet industry, livestock producers, our food production. Uh, just just talking a little bit about uh, California alone and because they have just really taken it on the chin with uh, these ballot initiatives are bad because Again, our side has a tendency to be too busy growing and raising our food, so they're not ready to put up their dukes and fight back, and it takes a lot of money. And agriculture uh, really hasn't put forth the, the funding necessary to defeat these ballot initiatives. So Prop 2 
which was also called, uh, and this was in 2008, it was called the Prevention of Farm Animal Cruelty uh, Act, which came to California as a ballot initiative in in 2008, I'm sorry. And um, basically it was requiring farmers and ranchers who were uh, raising egg-laying hens, uh, had gestation stalls for sows in the pork industry and veal crates for a veal. So it was all about larger confinement, which already they were under a very strong regulatory purview under USDA standards, which is interesting to me now that I know about Codex because USDA is the go-to mm-hmm. organization behind it all. So kind of makes you wonder wonder yeah, about they're that listed anyway. <laughs> they're listed as a partner yes uh, of codex elementarius so but under the premise that usda was already had oversight of you know food production through fsis which is food safety inspection service and other parts of the agency um you know it was all about larger larger cages or larger confinement well we knew Again, as you mentioned, it's all incremental. We knew that all their ultimate goal was no cages or cage free. So, and sure enough, 10 years later, after uh, Prop uh, 2 had passed in 2008, literally 10 years later, Prop 12 in California, which was called the California Farm Animal Confinement Initiative, which basically eliminated confinement of any kind. Now, your listeners may be saying, well, that's good. I don't like, you know, I want only cage-free and all this stuff. That's fine, uh, but it should be your choice as a farmer to how you want to raise your animals, because here's the thing. A lot of farmers and ranchers have brought their animals under into barns and and undercover and into confinement to make things more efficient, uh, to protect them from predators, to protect their animals from the elements. Um, the list goes on. And so things were have already been very highly regulated, but under these ballot initiatives that again, brought forth this notion that the animals were being mistreated is completely false. So a lot of farmers and ranchers got out of business after the first ballot initiative in 2008 passed, and then Prop 12 came around and eliminated confinement of any kind, and those left in agriculture, uh, raising animals in California, if they hadn't already relocated, they were either planning to now relocate or pull the plug and get out of business. But there was a lawsuit basically saying that because the way the proposition was written now statute uh, is written, it says that even if you raise, if you're in Iowa or in Oklahoma and you're raising animals to import the product into California, you have to comply to the standards set by this initiative that's a violation of the commerce clause, mm-hmm. but also uh, it's it's just it's insane that they're having to uh, it, implement these new standards for everybody. And so what does that do? That increases the cost of producing food. It shrinks the number of availability of farmers and ranchers to grow and raise our food. And it's it's basically just making things less uh, you know, more, less affordable, less available. And these are very big concerns, uh, especially given all the supply chain issues that we've been facing with the, uh, meat packer monopolies and all those other things that have been going on. Um, you know, this is, 
these producers that are just trying to make a living doing what they love and growing and raising our food are under such scrutiny from these animal rights organizations where they were never doing anything illegal, irresponsible in the first place. But we've got these radical animal rights groups that are changing the standards that inevitably will just put people out of business. And that's their goal. That is their goal. And meanwhile, these groups, you know, tout the fact that they have hundreds of millions of dollars to spend on these ballot initiative campaigns. And what's dangerous about that, and in California, as an example, they uh, just simply made TV commercials with the sad pictures mm -hmm. and the sad music. and Just to get more money. Just to get more money and influence voters. And both of these ballot initiatives in, in 2008 and again in 2018 passed at about 63% of the vote. So you've got all these consumers in California that thought, oh, good, I want better welfare for animals, farm animals. But then they say, oh, wait, now I'm spending $7 for a dozen eggs. And it's scarce. And on some days there are no eggs in the grocery store. We saw the shortages in the last year. Um, but these animal rights groups are very influential. It's all based on emotion, no facts or science. And, and that's where we are today with a lot of things. We're being influenced uh, in the public uh, mindset, the public arena. And Again, as I said earlier, it, this is happening even with school-aged children. They start to influence our school-aged kids, colleges and universities, a lot of the influence through uh, even just shopping at the grocery store or going to a coffee shop. It's just in your face all the time about um, policy that negatively impacts uh, farmers and ranchers. So a lot of these things, when they go into effect, the consumer ends up being the one to pay for it. So mm -hmm. you just know that, you know, if these farmers and ranchers have to modify their facilities to meet the standards of these radical animal rights groups, the consumers will be the ones picking up the ticket on that. Well, Mindy, we, we see this all the time. You're, uh, you raise horses, you live in the country yourself. So do mm -hmm. I. And, mm -hmm. um, we, we see this all the time, these young kids that they'll do interviews on television as the city kids that have no idea how food is raised, how uh, crops are grown. They know nothing about it because they've lived in this cloistered environment, but yet they've been sold this propaganda about how evil all these things are. And you know what you want to see the, the probably one of the the most uh, gratifying experiences in the world is to get one of these city kids out to your place mm -hmm. and show them how uh, chickens are raised, how 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 you uh, gather eggs, how uh, cattle are raised, and how you treat your your uh, livestock and things like that. It's a totally different world for them, but they are being influenced in ways that shape policy down the road because, as Hitler said, uh, give me your your children for five years and and I will own the political process. That's paraphrasing, but that's you know yeah. what he said. And well, it's true. We've lived in this culture of abundance as I like to call it, where, mm -hmm. you know, there are other countries that if you go to their grocery store, there's one kind of cereal, 
You go to mm-hmm. our our grocery stores and there's two aisles stacked mm-hmm. with just cereal alone. Abundance of fruits and vegetables and meats and all these things are available. We live in this culture of abundance and you've heard the 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 joke which I don't really find very funny, but people who think, "Oh, well, I'll just get my my food from the grocery store." Mm-hmm. And they have no idea where their food really truly comes from. When I was a kid, you know, we used to take field trips to the dairy, we used to take field trips to the egg laying production place. And people, you know, kids were learning where their food came from. Mm-hmm. And I have to say too, it irritates me that we always have to, you know, people in agriculture are always prefacing everything by saying, well, we always make sure that we do take take the best care of the animal welfare issues. Well, of course, if you're mm-hmm. in business, it's your livelihood. It's your livelihood. Of course, you're going to take good care of your animals. Most people do. Are there bad actors? Yes, but they do not speak for everybody. And I have found that to be true across the board in life. So we need to stop in in agriculture. We need to stop apologizing for for something that doesn't exist. You know, we need to be very. We need to go on offense, and that's one of yeah. the things I've learned in the last several years when I had been zigzagging all over the country to testify in opposition to very onerous legislation, as I said earlier, to ban lawful businesses, I thought, you know, this is for the birds. Playing defense just never seems to come out well for us because it doesn't matter how you wrap things up in a pretty bow for people. They just can't take the realities of animal husbandry sometimes, or they are so naive to it that they don't even know what you're talking about. Um, because nowadays the house or Senate agriculture committees and state legislatures are so filled with urban activists nowadays. Mm -hmm. And and that's true. I've, I've learned that Mm -hmm. firsthand that you, you know, you're getting the side eye from people who live in the suburbia of, of metropolitan areas that no matter what you say, it just will never be good enough. And they want these businesses gone because their personal ideology is that they don't, they don't like horse-drawn carriages or they don't like egg producers or, you know, they have this romanticized view of, you know, people who grow and raise our food and they put forth policy that wants to fit that little package, if you will. And Mm -hmm. that's just unrealistic. Um, So that's why going on offense is much more appealing. And that's what our organization has been really up to the last five, six, seven years um, with this Working Animal Protection Act and some other bills that we have been putting forth in state legislatures. It's a lot more uh, effective to be able to um, not only talk to the legislature, you know, the bill may not go anywhere and that's been the case in some states, but what it has done is provided a springboard to inform lawmakers about the importance of what it is we're trying to achieve and why. And there have been eyes opened and people that have lawmakers that have called us up and said, wow, I had no idea this was an issue, or I really didn't know anything about this or that. And so it does provide a great springboard to educate lawmakers, which does provide something. Ultimately, we'd prefer to have our bills passed. But as you know, it's not supposed to be an easy process. It's supposed to be one with vigorous debate and discussion before they pass new 
new laws. I'm not a fan of passing new laws. I think we have enough enough laws and we should be we should be repealing them but and it's sad that we have to pass a law to protect lawful businesses but that's where we are today Mm -hmm. um and so that's why i say it's it's much better to go on offense but going on offense also includes not apologizing instead informing lawmakers about you know, what it is you do and, and why agriculture is important and vital. And, you know, all these things about husbandry, instead of falling prey to the propaganda and the false premise that these organizations are notoriously um, with nefarious intentions um, putting out there, they, they want to see agriculture, animal agriculture gone. They really do. That is their goal. Yeah, except for big uh, business like Monsanto and Cargill and the big uh, corporate entities, they're okay. But small farms uh, and ranches, mom and pop operations, as far as they're concerned, they need to be gone. Just that simple. Well, the monopolies, like you just mentioned, with Monsanto and Cargill and these these big corporations, are even happening in the in the pet industry too. You know, the the dog breeders, we are going to see a pet shortage in the next few years. I guarantee you it, it is it has been very eye opening the last few years. And the policy that the animal rights groups continue to push, you know, they just act they they put they purport these these false narratives that about pet overpopulation when we've got these uh, nonprofit animal rights groups that are a part of the agenda to import uh, animals from China and Mexico and Puerto Rico that fill up the rescue shelters, not giving opportunity for the real uh, domestic animals here that are already here looking for homes. And so, you know, they put forth this false narrative that we have a huge over a pet overpopulation, which is completely false. Meanwhile, the people who are breeding and have been doing so for years and doing it right and lawfully are giving up and getting out of business because they can't compete with that monopoly. It's the rescue monopoly. And the interesting thing about that is that these rescue shelters have no oversight, none. Right. right. And meanwhile, they continue to tighten the noose on lawful breeders that are doing it right and going to uh, educational seminars to improve their kennels or whatever uh, pet industry uh, animal that they're, you know, I say dogs just as an easy example. But the pet industry is a $90 billion industry, everything from sugar gliders to fish to birds to dogs. You know, people love their pets, people love animal ownership, and they don't realize that these policies are going to equal the elimination of animal ownership mm-hmm. and private property. That's what this is. That's what so, it's all about. Private it's all property. about. Yeah, yeah, it's all about private property. Mindy, um, when when you were talking about uh, the, the uh involvement of these different environmental groups in the policy building and all the money that goes into the uh, legislative process. I, I can't help but uh, think about, and I you may have heard this story, but when I was a county commissioner, um, I was 
part of a group that were concerned about wolf overpopulation that was spilling out of Yellowstone Park into our county, which is Madison County, which is right next to, in fact, it's on the park, it borders the park. But there were other uh, counties and we were having problems with uh, wolves spilling out of the park and then uh, pre uh, predating on uh, beef cattle and on different horses, just about anything, uh, dogs, pets. And so I went to a, a meeting that was held at the state livestock, uh, uh, state, state livestock commission had a, an office in Helena. And, uh, I went to that to hear a discussion that was going on about the wolf predation. Well, I got there and there was a guy at the end of the table that seemed to have complete control of the whole meeting. And he was talking about how, uh, the, the uh, state and all the different people around this uh, around this table needed to be promoting a bill that John Tester, the senator from Montana, was promoting, called the the Farm Bill. But in it, parts of it had uh, money reparations to ranchers and farmers for uh, predation on their herds. And um, this guy was going on and on about this, and um, it w became my turn to talk. And I said, um, I'm not sure who you are, but uh, this is something that was agreed by the uh, Defenders of Wildlife and other organizations when the wolves were introduced to the park, that they would cover some of these predation costs that uh, this would be something done by nonprofits. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, well, we don't have that kind of money. And uh, I said, we, who are you? <laughs> well, he was an attorney from the NRDC. He was from G Virginia. He was a, uh, an attorney representing the National Re uh, Natural Resource Defense Council. And I had just happened to get up early that day and gone online and had read about the half a billion, and that's with a B, dollars that were raised by NRDC mm -hmm. to um, stop all the uh, animal or all the the uh, uh, wolf um, listing not delisting, but listing wolves as predators and opening a hunting season in Montana because there were so many of them. Mm -hmm. This group had raised a half a billion dollars to do that, but they told me they didn't have the money to pay $150,000 or $200,000 to producers who had lost livestock. I mean, this is the kind of crap, the kind of lies that are behind the whole animal rights movement. Yep, it's all about money. It's well, all that's... about money. And what they were trying to do is shift the responsibility for the predation losses from themselves to the taxpayers via the farm bill. And of course they owned um, John Tester, Lock, Stock and Barrel. Well, this the... is the kind of crap that happens all over our country every yes. single day of the week.
Yes. And the farm bill becomes a Trojan horse. You know, 95% of the farm bill is for, you know, farm subsidies and uh, the SNAP program and Mm -hmm. school lunches and um, all of this stuff. They're talking about food deserts and food insecurity. All the stuff is to, you know, all. So that's what the farm bill is mostly about. But if you look at the pie graph, there's this sliver of about, 2% of the funding, which is where the animal rights groups amend the farm bill or the agriculture appropriations bill, which is every year in September. So this year we have both the farm bill for 2023, which is every five years. And then we have the ag appropriations bill that are, that'll come up for a vote. And that's where these animal rights groups amend in the 11th hour, uh, the farm bill to sneak in because it's germane to some of these uh, animal industries, you know, they'll say, oh, it's germane to the farm bill. You can add that. <laughs> so that's one of the reasons I'm heading to D.C. in the next couple of weeks is I've been watching very closely what's getting amended to the farm bill. We have huge concerns. And these animal rights groups, namely Animal Wellness Action, run by Wayne Pacelli, after he was run out of the Humane Society of the United States, he started a new organization called Animal Wellness Action, which has, you know, several other sort of branch organizations that are involved under the same umbrella, but he intends to add two uh, pieces of federal legislation that he's tried to pass for the last 10 years um, and intends to amend the farm bill with these bills. So we hope to uh, get them blocked, if you will. Mm -hmm. Now, here's a sad tale. So I'm doing this and, you know, we've got a new Congress this year, getting to know some of the new legislators that I haven't, that haven't been a part of the agriculture house ag committee and the Senate ag committee and the chairman of the uh, house agriculture committee is Glenn Thompson, uh, a congressman from Pennsylvania. And he was recently endorsed by this animal wellness action. I feel very upset about this because mm-hmm. he will probably just like my what I outlined happening in Texas. You know, these these lawmakers are constantly under this uh, pressure to raise money. I've heard this from several congressmen uh, who I happen to be friends with. And they've said, oh, you would not believe the pressure. We're always under pressure to raise money for the next election. And it's in the millions now. If you plan to run for office, you have to have, you know, several million dollars in the coffer to to have commercials and events and all this other stuff. It's dumb. So they actually it's not dumb, Mindy. The dirty little (laughs) secret is that if you raise that money and you've got it in your coffers, even if you're voted out of office, you get to keep the money. Oh, it's really? In their, yes, it's in their interest to raise as much as they can so that if, in fact, they get voted out of office, they've got this this tidy little sum to fall back on. And incidentally, all they have to do is get in Congress elected to three terms, six years, and uh, they're fully vested for a retirement. But that would be an ethics violation at the state level. Well, guess what? Uh, They get away (laughs) with it. I think it's awful. Mm -hmm. So anyway, yeah. So I'm very disappointed. I'm hoping that he does the right thing. But that's, you know, one of my meetings is to meet with 
Chairman Thompson in hopes that he will help us identify and block these. Because part of protecting agriculture is is watching for animal rights-driven legislation. Mm-hmm. Going back to your wolf uh, introduction uh, and reintroduct as they call it reintroduction mm-hmm. uh state by state that they've been doing there is a federal bill now that wants to make that a sweeping federal law that the the wolves will be uh welcome in all 48 mm-hmm. the 48 continental states but that's um, all part of the plan i'll never forget listening to tom do speak when i first had heard about him this is like 12 years ago, 13 years ago, he came to St. Louis to speak. And one of the things that really stuck with me was when he said the the quickest way to remove people from owning private property is a moratorium on septic tanks and wolf reintroduction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, he said it tongue in cheek, but it was honestly very true and factual. And mm-hmm. we've watched that unfold through the years. And he's spot on like he is on everything. And it's, it's super concerning Yeah, that mm-hmm. they're really bamboozling people and they just don't listen to Jim beers either. And all of his right. factual knowledge about, you know, what wolf having wolves in your backyard is going to mean for taking little fluffy out for a walk or having them unattended in your backyard and Lord, or your, or your children. Yeah, just go on for a walk in your own woods. Uh, yeah. And and Mindy, the, keep in mind that while they're doing this, they're trying to eliminate uh, ownership of guns. Yes. So guess what? You've got a whole bunch of uh, apex predators running around your property, and you have no way to fend them off uh, to get rid of them if you have to. Yeah, yeah. and defend your your livestock. It's, it's just awful. Yeah, they're passing laws that, uh, disallow you to uh, shoot to kill these predators. It's really disgusting. Mm-hmm. That's it been is. going on everywhere. Well, it is. And now the um, um, the Environmental Protection Agency has uh, 22,000 drones uh, traveling all over the country to identify if someone happens to harvest uh, a predator illegally uh, so that they can send them to jail. Unbelievable. Even that predator might be in your backyard uh, and have already killed one of your dogs or doing something like that. Uh, you know, you can go to jail for killing that. But uh, guess what? You can belong to Antifa or BLM, <laughs> and you can go downtown and riot and break people's noses and, and shoot them in the back, and that's okay. Well, that's the hypocrisy. I mean, we we have seen that front and center in our efforts to save, just as an example, with the horse-drawn carriages. You know, these businesses are very highly regulated and do everything they can. It's a wholesome family activity. It's very desirable in the canal area of San Antonio. But they do that, and then they're doing other things that uh, are just making crime increase and you know all these other things to fight in the in the urban areas it makes no sense at all but no, um that's not. they they want it to be a, a unpleasant place to live i guess it's really sad what's going on well one of the things that we discover and i discovered a long time ago uh is that you cannot negotiate with a communist Mm-hmm. There is no such thing as halfway. 
There's no such thing as giving a little and expecting anything in return. When you negotiate with a communist, you got to keep in mind they're ideologues. They fully intend to achieve all their goals, which basically take away all our rights. And then it's just a matter of time before they incrementally take every single thing they get by spineless Republicans. Uh, we refer to them commonly as rhinos, but it mm -hmm. seems like the whole Republican Party now is full of these jerks. Um, and, of course, they'll, they'll say, well, you've got to be willing to compromise. No, you no. don't. No. Not when it comes to our country. The last thing we need to do is compromise with a bunch of communists about the direction of our country. Well, they take uh, these lawmakers at the local, state, and federal level, including our county sheriffs, take an oath of office. Exactly. To protect their constituents from foreign enemies from and domestic. All enemies. Uh -huh. All enemies, foreign and domestic. And mm -hmm. these animal rights and environmental extremists and everything you've just laid out with the people burning down businesses, and this, again, is under the communist ploy of... Mm -hmm. The end justifies the means. They will, I mean, the summer of 2020 was bizarre. We watched, we witnessed people burning down businesses and had, there was no consequences. And mm -hmm. yet the people who are law-abiding citizens, there seems to be no presumption of innocence anymore. Yeah. Our, our judicial system is definitely broken. And definitely. we've been watching the presumption of innocence just disintegrate before our eyes. And we've had to deal with that in several situations where, you know, animals are unlawfully seized from animal owners and livestock producers and so forth under this false premise of, you know, animal neglect. Um, but, uh, you know, again, you should be innocent until proven otherwise. And that's not how things roll. Not how it works. I, I, my, uh, uh, my acquaintance is actually a friend, uh, Stuart Rhodes. Mm -hmm. Um, Oath Keepers. Uh, Stuart, I know him quite well. He has a lot of, uh, I guess I would call it flaws, but one thing unflawed about Stuart is his, um, is his adherence to the Constitution, to rule of law, mm -hmm. and to uh, love of this country. And uh, the Oath Keepers were at the Capitol on January 6th to do one thing, and that was to try to prevent the kind of problems that ended up happening there as a result of Antifa and uh, instigators that were paid to be part of the, the complex that created the scenario that said that it was an activist event by a bunch of radical white right-wing extremists. Mm -hmm. that, that just was not the case. And uh, Stewart ended up getting uh, 18 years, according to the, the newspaper reports. I have not talked to him. Uh, apparently, he's in a solitary confinement right now. My gosh. But, um, you know, to get 18 years, and you, I think, Mindy, did you see the footage of the Oath Keepers escorting the police out of the building that yeah. were terrified that they were going to get hurt somehow? Yes. 
I mean, they created this damn false scenario. If I had been a congressman, I would have gone down to that uh, to that meeting room to Congress. Yes, and stood there and say, "What what can we do to uh, uh, serve the people?" And instead, they ran like a bunch of dogs uh, for cover. Yep, they all seem to need cover. And which is sad, you know, they should be boldly standing up for principle and, uh, and, and against this kind of tyranny. It's just mm-hmm. awful, awful. It is. I agree. Mm-hmm. Well, it sets a, it sets the stage for now what we have is another, uh, we'll have four years of total tyranny, mm-hmm. uh, before there's even a chance that we'll have anything different. And uh, frankly, with the the uh, election system as rigged as it is with the computer voting and all the same day registration and all the things that are designed to, to compromise and cheat the system, I don't see any way we're ever gonna have a legitimate elected government again. Yeah, I'm I'm worried about the same or have election at all. Yeah. There's even speculation that they'll just tie up the election into perpetuity and we'll mm-hmm. just roll into this. I mean, we're already living in an oligarchy, it would seem, but it will be even mm-hmm. more so. So, you know, there's a federal bill since you were talking about some of this uh stuff, the one of the bills that's very active right now in at the federal level would basically create a um, animal cruelty task force in the Department of Justice. And I don't know about you, but I sure as heck don't want uh, this current DOJ um, having any sort of animal cruelty task force. It'll just be further weaponization of that agency against everybody. And they get to determine what's considered. See, that's the thing that people need to understand. These animal rights organizations are trying to alter Americans' views about what's considered humane. So, you know, having a dog on a leash, according to them, even owning a dog, as you pointed out in the in the introduction, even owning a dog is considered inhumane. Um, but that's where all this is headed. So be careful what you wish for. You know, a lot of these uh, policies that they're putting forth will just completely erode and eliminate ownership of private property through animals. And and that's where all this is going. It's it's and we're you know. There's such a small population of Americans, less than 1% of our population are farmers and ranchers. Mm -hmm. And it worries me because we'll be reliant on other foreign countries like we have been with energy, uh, which is another silly thing. The whole idea. The whole idea to be beholden Mm -hmm. to our enemies for food. So. And what to took us so long to pass class. laws to protect our farmland from being uh, bought up by foreign interests? I mean, yeah. they got China has been busy doing buying up our farmland for years, and so I don't know. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. We we are uh, living in a parallel universe Oops. that I think any of us would have said twenty years ago would have been impossible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I couldn't have believed this uh, twenty years ago. I've I've been following this nonsense for sixty years. Yeah. But I can tell you that uh, I I never dreamed 
that we would get to the point where we would allow uh, our whole country to be taken over by uh, special interests and radical groups. Yeah, and here we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's overwhelming sometimes, and there are days that it feels uh, like too big of a, an issue to fight back. But what keeps me going are, uh, our members and the people that we know who are, you know, doing their best to stay in business, who do everything right. Um, that are, you know, have, have been doing what they love for over 40 years, many of them. Um, you know, we represent everybody from people who produce in the pet industry to cattle ranchers, to servid, uh, farmers. I mean, the list goes on. And these are law-abiding citizens that are um, are last on the list mm-hmm. <laughs> in terms of yeah, being protected, you know, and, and appreciated. It's just government has been weaponized, literally. USDA is, we're back to Obama era enforcement with USDA, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Very aggressive um, misinterpretation of of the statute and the rules to make sure that people can't keep up and can't stay in compliance. That's the game they play in mm-hmm. compliance, which is a phrase I just can't stand, but it is what it is. If you've got a license and you know, you want to continue to do business, you have to have these uh, inspections and they come in with a very heavy hand. A lot of mm-hmm. our members live in fear of, uh, of government action. And they make it impossible with these heavy fines and fees and uh, an appeal process that feels daunting or an appeals process that means that you have to hire a lawyer. You shouldn't have to hire a lawyer to understand what is expected of you as a licensee uh, to run an animal-related business. But, you know, that's what they've done to to tighten the noose on Americans who raise, breed, and work with animals, whether they're food producers or or whatever it may be, it's, they're just making it so onerous to stay in business. And it makes me sad because a lot of these people live in such rural areas. What are they supposed to do for a living? Right. Right. And this is all they've done for their entire life or maybe multi-generations. Mm-hmm. And when they lose their animals or, you know, can't keep up with all these heavy regulations and they're, they're gone. The, the, the real dirty trick too, is that, you know, because of all these onerous regulations that are being uh, advanced by these animal rights organizations. But then you look at other countries where there are zero regulations <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, you know, they just sail by. Everything just seems to be regulated out of business here in the United States first, where we do things right and do things above reproach. And it, that's an important point. You, people need to understand one thing. You look at the environmental movement. You looked at uh, Agenda 21, Agenda 2030. You look at the Paris Accords. You look at uh, mm-hmm. COP27 and all these different uh, things that are going on. Who gets a free pass? Yeah. It's always the communist countries get a free pass. And these young people from Harvard... Debbie told me about this. These young people from Harvard who are living on mommy and daddy's uh, allowance to them so they can go to school and 
do nothing but uh, smoke pot and sit on their little fat butts. Um, <laughs> yep. Uh, they are over there arguing against the United States, uh, the country that allows them to do that. And uh, who are they giving a free pass to? They give a free pass to all the communist countries. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, communist China owns the UN now. They really do. They own the UN. It was always planned to be that way. It used to be Russia owned the UN but ever since we dropped uh, Taiwan and took up mainland communist China as uh, the representative of China, uh, we, we're pretty much owned by the communist countries right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it, when I was doing some research a couple of years ago, I realized, wow, the textile industry has been run out of our country due to re regulatory reform manufacturing pretty much the same for the most part. Um, and now here we are with farming and ranching and we're down to the nitty gritty. I mean, people are hanging on by a thread and it's hard enough as it is with weather related uh, challenges and all of that, but to pile on with all these regulations and it's insulting coming from animal rights groups too, because, yeah. you know, again, as we said earlier, it, it, advances this notion that farmers and ranchers don't care about their animals and nothing else could be further from the truth. So all of these things are getting eliminated from the U S what are we going to be leaning on? I mean, and energy too is another thing that we've crushed, which is ridiculous. It's irresponsible. It's irresponsible. We have these, um, God given resources and things to, uh, draw upon to, um, to, to help us live comfortable lives and prosper, but yet they're being squelched and eliminated just because certain elites and a small vocal minority doesn't, it doesn't align with their ideology. That's what it really boils down to. And that's also in a nutshell, what I see from lawmakers at the local state and federal level, you know, they're legislating their opinions. They, mm -hmm. you know, have formed an opinion that they don't like uh, certain things, whether it's, you know, using horse-drawn carriages in a, as an example, because that seems to be in the crosshairs right now, or rodeo or the pet industry, they don't like it. So I'm going to pass a bill to eliminate you because I want you gone. And that's the kind of nonsense that, you know, that's, that's why we've gone on offense with our legislation to protect those lawful businesses. If they're doing things right, there's no reason why you should have to put up with a lawmaker that bans you legislatively just because you don't, they don't agree with what you do for a living. Wow. Right. right. No, mean, you're, you're, you're right. And no war was ever won by a country that played permanent defense. Yep. There's no such thing. You cannot win the war for the future of our country mm -hmm. by being on permanent defense. Yep. You know, we, we need to get off our butts and be part of the solution. The only way that'll happen is if we stand up as Americans and stand up together. Because, uh, Mindy, you and I have talked about this numerous times we really do represent 90% of the people in this country. Yes. I mean, 
There's a few out there, tutti frutti, that say, oh, yeah, I want the United States gone. I want to be, I want to live under communism. But most would never admit (laughs) that. Yeah. You know, so why why are we playing their game? That I don't get. Well, you and I have talked about this before, but the way to win and the way to go on offense with that is never compromise on issues of private property, never collaborate with those who ultimately seek our demise. We see it in agriculture all the time with this sustainable development and sustainable agriculture. They flock to that thinking, oh, this will mean that we can stay alive another year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, no, you got to draw a line in the sand. If you're not doing anything wrong, quit apologizing, stand up and, you know, stand up for mm-hmm. your industry and stand up for what you're doing. It, to me, there's nothing more noble than raising food for mm-hmm. your fellow man. It's well, such that's a, right. It, it's, it's noble. And yet they, they tend to cower. What is there to cower about? But also, you know, we have to start really questioning these organizations as that are against our constitutional principles. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm still blown away at the uh, insanity that's gone on with the the crime family um, of the Bidens, mm-hmm. and no consequences, no None. consequences. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, what's when will that happen? It's just crazy to me that, that there's, but if anything, you know, they, they come after the American citizen for things that they make up. It's, it's well, really that's awful. It. That's it. And now, especially with, um, you know, the, the ability to uh, Photoshop and do all the other things that they have the ability to do, they can turn honest people into uh, criminals and they can turn the worst criminals into uh, non-existence, and that's exactly what they've done with the Biden grand family. Yeah, you know, yeah, they they uh, slap Hunter on the wrist. Uh, his dad should have been uh, kicked out of the presidency. Should have been impeached without a doubt, just on the testimony before the. Uh, uh, um, Trying to think where he was at. Uh, I remember seeing the uh, the video. He was bragging about uh, how he got the prosecutor fired in uh, Ukraine that was going after his son Hunter, and how he withheld a billion dollars in aid and uh, did it uh, in a way that uh, got that prosecutor fired it within a few hours. Yeah, everything's just upside down. It's a mess down. because there's no rule of law. None, none. They're, not, they're not for the little people. Not for the little people. And exactly. So, you know, as I sit here and you're so nice to have me on your show, there's so much to talk about. Uh, but I appreciate you opening my eyes to this Codex elementarius situation Mm -hmm. and we'll be watching the bridge on that one um it explains a lot as to what's been happening with the fda and and other um and usda it Mm -hmm. it explains a lot as to why they've been implementing some of these new rules and regulations just came out of nowhere they didn't go through congress Mm -hmm. Well, so, this, how, they, how they work is, uh, and this is something that I think you uh, noticed was the WHO. 
Oh yes, yes. And and, yes. and the FAO and all these uh, international agencies that now are talking about how they're going to improve our health. <laughs> yeah, they're going to improve our health by forcing us to take vaccines that uh, will kill us, basically. Yeah, which has been proven, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Facts be facts be damned, but that's where we are, and you know we'll. You and I have said we'll die on that hill fighting this tyranny. And um, but unfortunately, I, I do think people this last year has given me hope and that people are waking up. And as Thumper was saying earlier, it's taken some, you know, crazy things to happen. I think when the sh- grocery store shelves were empty for a while there, I think that woke people up and they're starting to realize that things are fragile. Our economy can be fragile. Um so, you know, the life that we have come become accustomed to could be gone in a blink of an eye. That's this right. culture of abundance has lulled us to sleep. And um well, people- and they hate us as a country. Yeah. Yep. The the uh the world hates the United States because we represent an excellence that cannot be achieved yep. under any form of government and the only way that they can exist under their forms of tyranny is by getting rid of us. And that's why there's a a full court press to get rid of the United States of America as a constitutional republic, because we are the conscience of the rest of the world. We are the example that as long as we exist as a republic, uh, they they can't prove us wrong. Amen. No, you're absolutely right. American exceptionalism is is still there it's just being hidden so being hidden and it's being destroyed mindy uh talk a little bit about your group the cavalry group and i know you're doing some aren't you doing some of your own podcasts as well yes i we just started a podcast called everything's political um i have found it challenging to be able to write uh, as often as I need to, to talk about legislative issues as they rapidly change. So we started a podcast uh, called Everything's Political. We're on Podbean um, and Spotify and a couple other places. But um, yeah, we opened, we debuted on the uh, issue of the San Antonio horse-drawn carriages and the agenda behind it, because there is a national plan from Animal Wellness Action to ban horse-drawn carriages and other horse events across the country. Uh, the Cavalry Group, uh, we are in our 14th year of doing business. We basically are a member-based company that provides um legal defense uh, for unlawful search and seizure. So that's really the cornerstone of what we provide, but we don't sit around and wait for the emergency number to ring. So we fight back legislatively too at the local state and federal level. And as I said, go on offense to protect lawful animal enterprise and animal related businesses um, at the local state and federal level. So uh, when it's before the state legislative time, we read the bills you know, none of these bills that the animal rights groups put forth are ever about the thing that it says in the title. Know that. That's it's, right. They're very deceptive. It's always there's something in these bills without fail that takes away due process or takes whittles away at our Constitution. They hate the Constitution. As you said, they don't like our constitutional republic. 
So how do you destroy that? You do it incrementally, a little bit at a time, and through legislative efforts that um, take away that uh, that authority at the at the local and state level. It's crazy, mm-hmm. but that's what's mm-hmm. happening, and that's what our group does. We we work very hard to keep people in business that are doing it right and lawfully. And and you, um, anyone who's listening, if you've got a state legislature that is working on one of these bills. Mm-hmm. contact Mindy and you you actually go and testify in state legislatures around the country as an expert witness on behalf of uh, producers, don't you? Correct. I do. I fly all over the country and have for over 10 years now um, to testify and usually in opposition to onerous legislation that the animal rights groups put forth. And that's why we decided to go on offense with this bill. So if you're interested in, in the working animal protection act or a version thereof, like we passed in Texas Mm -hmm. coming to your state, please contact us at the office. Uh, Can I give the phone number? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Please do. Our office number is 855-748-4210. If you're interested in the legislation or want to become a member, you can also visit our website, which is thecavalrygroup.com. Just make sure you spell cavalry, Um, Mm C-A-V-A-L-R-Y, like the military infantry, not the church, but the cavalry. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that's right. So uh, thecavalrygroup.com. But yeah, we've passed our bill in Oklahoma, Arkansas, uh, a version of it in Texas, and we've made uh, attempts in Wyoming, Montana. Uh, we're going to be heading to uh, Wyoming again this next 2024, uh, Idaho in 2024, uh, Florida, Kentucky, Tennessee uh, this next year too. Oh, and Utah. So um, we are, you know, just busy as can be, but we really take all of this very much to heart and um, are out there working very hard for our members, our members every day. So, yeah, I know that for a fact. Well, Mindy, you're always such a, a wonderful, well, you're a wonderful person and a wonderful guest. And I, you know, what you're trying to do for this country is exemplary in ways that uh, people can't realize just how much you uh, put your neck out, stick your neck out for this. So uh, please get a hold of Mindy, get a hold of her at the Cavalry Group, and uh, get a hold of her to uh, consider supporting what she's doing because what we are doing right now, Mindy, and you said this earlier, you're trying to provide uh, protection for the food supply Mm -hmm. that literally feeds the world. Yes. And uh, America had a very strong network of small independent farms and ranches, and they are going the way of the buffalo. And so it's important that we keep that alive. Absolutely. Dan, it's always great to be on your show. Thank you for being such a great friend and, and host. And uh, thank you for having me. You bet. Anytime, Mindy, anytime. Thank you again. Uh, thank I want you. to thank our our viewers for joining us for Connecting the Dots. From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee across the plains of Texas oh from sea to shining sea from deep
Detroit down to Houston, New York to LA, where there's pride in every American heart, and it's time we stand and say. There ain't no doubt I love this land. 